Okay, everyone, we are live with episode 19 of the Hunger for the Hustle podcast. Whether you're joining us now or later, live or later, anywhere in the world, we both welcome you with big open arms. I am joined today by my first Canadian guest. How about that? He is a very polite gentleman, like all Canadians are, of course. But more (laughs) than that, he's a man of many, many talents. Michael Bridgman, my guest, has been an actor. He is an entrepreneur. He is a speaker. He is also the owner of Thank You Media, which I can't wait to talk about and I've brought on board for my own business. Michael, live from Vancouver, BC. How are you today, sir? Oh, I'm fantastic, Mr. Fowler. How are you, Jake? I'm great and I'm grateful. Yeah, great and grateful. Love it. Love it. What time is it over there in Australia right now? It's 2 p.m. Pacific time. Beat me to it. I was just about to ask you. It is 8 a.m. here. On Sunday. On Sunday. Okay. Yeah. There we go. Yeah, I'm in the future, and I'm, I'm pleased to tell you that everything is well in the future. Oh, good, good. Don't, don't ask me for the lottery numbers because I'm obliged legally not to be able to give you them. Everybody <laughs> in Australia has to sign a form, do they? Yes, if you do. Actually, when you come in the country now, they make you sign a form not to give lottery numbers away to anyone in a previous previous part of the world. Previous part of the world. I probably should be careful with how I use that phrase. That's that's probably not the best phrase to use. But <laughs> I think we should pull back and tell the audience how how we how we came to be buddies and friends, right? Because we've been we've been buddies now for oh, I've lost count. We've been having that much fun. I've lost count. But I reckon it's probably about June, July. Yeah, it's got to be almost three months now, my man. Got to yeah, be three right. months. And our we so Jake and I hate long distance, so we use Facebook to call each other all the time. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Uh, we don't even schedule it in. We just hit on, and then if you're available, you're available. If you're not, you're not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We jumped into the Power Voice training with Les Brown. We both wanted yep. to be speakers didn't we and how could we facilitate that well let's do some training with the guys that are the best in the world at doing it les brown was someone we'd already been following the opportunity came up because of covid19 mm-hmm. and how many opportunities are coming out this time i'm sure we'll move into that in a minute but there are many and they are vast yes we seized it we seized it and we were both lucky enough and worked hard enough i will say to get chosen to speak at the power Voice summit and Outside of that, we, we formed a, a mastermind group, Speak mm-hmm. Speak, um, which we'll be jumping on a call a little bit later today. Um, with I'm trying to think how many are in that group, there's about eight or nine of us, isn't there? Yeah. Um, and we all we all just help each other out. We all prepare, share our material with each other, practice it with each other, and polish up on stuff. So. Um, that's how that's how it came to be, and now we're in the Thinking into Results course with John Tallarico as well. Yeah, yeah. It seems we follow each other's tails around. Yes, yes, it certainly <laughs> does. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> so, Michael, tell me about. Yeah. You do so many things. I'm not sure which one we'll focus on, but let's go. I reckon we'll go with the pet business, right? Because you run a family pet business. Yes. Uh, you've been involved with that for a long time. Yeah. Well, you know what, Jake, to be honest, I, you know, very thankfully, I don't, I don't run the pet business anymore. It, it, it has a wonderful, brilliant woman that runs it for my family. Uh, I give that business direction. I give it real marketing power. I give it perspective and like long-term uh, planning, but I uh, I have achieved one of those things that a lot of small business owners don't achieve, which is freedom and from the business, right? So I don't work. Um, I have it's the old saying, I don't really work in my business anymore. I work on it. And that really is the type of experience that I've been able to achieve in the last, you know, it started out about five years ago, the journey and really culminated a couple of years ago as I, I I realized that the people I had in place were far better, much, 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 much better at running the everyday stuff than I ever was or ever was going to be. And frankly, I was happy about that. I was very happy about that. So I, I put some people in some awesome positions, let them go about their business, 
and stood back and practiced what uh, a lot of the businesses that I coach now and and work on their marketing with with my other ventures. I, I have this saying, Jake. I always say to myself, less important and more valuable. And so what I did for my company was I made myself very valuable in the sense that I was able to give a direction and give it purpose and marketing power and everything else and, and leadership. But then I made myself very unimportant to the everyday activities, which gave me that space and that freedom to explore new stuff and meet phenomenal people like you. So that's a little bit about what that pet business is all about. Was that the question you were asking me or I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, well, it was, it was really, it was, it was how I got started. Right. But, yeah, well, my mom started it. So she she actually uh, went to a Tony Robbins event as because Tony lived not very far from where I live for quite some time. He married a girl from Alder Grove, British Columbia. So he lived in this area for quite some time. So he did a lot of his events 30, 35 years ago in this area. And he was at doing a big event. My mom got all jacked up to follow her dream, came home, converted the playroom of our house into a grooming studio so uh, she kicked me out me and my sega genesis had to go somewhere else and uh, she started this company and she would bathe the big dogs in the bathroom tub she'd walk them down the hall she bathed the little dogs in the laundry room sink which was just around the corner and she started her business literally from a piece of plywood and a grooming you know arm and the tools and off she went and she used a lot she abused a lot of child labor in that venture. I'll tell you a ton <laughs> of child labor in that venture. My right. sister, especially on the marketing side, I remember 10, 11 years old, we spent afternoon, countless afternoons as she was getting her business started in the first six months, literally driving down the neighborhood as if we were delivering newspapers or driving down in her Ford Aerostar van. And she would send us out with stacks of flyers and we'd be stuffing uh, mailboxes all up and down the neighborhoods, all on the east side of the city that I live in. So that uh, <laughs> she was highly abusive of child labor and it was to her best interest because it helped her business succeed. Well, it certainly did, right? And it's a, it's a successful business now. And interesting you talk about that, the old days of flyers. I remember when I used to do club and event promotions and i used to yeah. hand out flyers outside the nightclubs and i'm kind of yeah i it think still I, works. it still works okay well i'm glad you said that i just thought i was about to say i thought print media is kind of dead doesn't really work you think it still works you know uh, uh, share a quick story i was under the same impression a couple years ago and it really depends on who it is that you're marketing to so this is one of the things that I find with a lot of business owners that I consult with and, and, and work with, and they, they, they have these fundamental beliefs about things that are, aren't necessarily completely true. And so one of the things that I realize is the target market that I would love to work with for the pet industry, for example, is a woman who I call Margaret. So Margaret is a literal client avatar. So we have a picture of her in my office. Like Margaret has certain qualities. We know exactly who she is. She's a 52-year-old young grandma, right? She drives an Audi SUV. She lives in the eastern part of the city I'm in. Like we know all these things about her. And frankly, she and a lot of the, the, the hot area, like that warm area in around who Margaret might be, will look at the newspaper. They will look at the newspaper's website. They will look at those places for sources of information. They will look at their local elements that are in print media. And so we've been running newspaper marketing for the last 12 months. And it's not only helped us survive through the tough COVID times, but it's helped some of our business, some of the elements of our business actually increase drastically in that time. Mm -hmm. And some of that I have to attribute to, to that particular marketing venture. I think that's a, that's a fantastic point of view you've raised there, and it's and thanks for sharing the story because you're absolutely right in a way, and I didn't really think about that. Of course, you know, things like newspapers, whilst people have been at home a lot in this time, they're still getting printed, still getting delivered. Yeah. And for a lot of people, that is their solid source of media, particularly most people read it. Uh, not most people, sorry, a lot of people read it every day. Yeah. Um, it's, 
the kind of the, it's part of their routine, it's part of their you know their, their comfort. It's the place they go to for regular news, and they probably trust a lot of the things they see in there. Mm-hmm. So having an ad in there that relates to your business, of course, it's advertising your business, but targeted towards what they need. You know, your target yeah. audience. Yeah. Well, and and so we were we use that. It's all about what you're using it for, right? So we use that particular venture and that concept to build trust, to remember, to remind them that we've been here for 31 years, to remind them that we're a trustworthy resource, and as things are chaotic around them, they can always trust just about pets, mm-hmm. right? And that was the theme. So being in their local newspaper made perfect sense, right? Made And being in like the adult living section, which is like 55 plus, that's what it's designed for. That made perfect sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I definitely think print media can be can, can work. I definitely know Facebook ads work and we, we still need to have a talk about that, particularly as the the demographic of Facebook has really changed. It's it's funny, I think, because when first Facebook first came out, everyone was over 40 was saying, what is this? I'm never going to go on it. I'm going to stay away from it. I don't need it. It's, it's useless. Now, the actual demographic of Facebook, the majority of people using it are over 40. So it's kind That's of because when Facebook started, all of us were young enough that now we're all over 40. <laughs> well, I, I wasn't. I wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> Ah, I remember it. I remember it. Yeah. <laughs> and there was no Facebook. Oh, yeah. I remember that time as yes, well. Yes, but it's, that is true. Somewhere in my distant memory. <laughs> Somewhere back there? Yeah, back you there. young pup. <clears throat> uh, you're pretty young as well, bro. You're, you're not much older than me. <laughs> Enough. <laughs> Come on. Um, What's been your biggest biggest challenge with the pet business so far? Oh, well, A, when I took it over was that I frankly didn't know what the hell I was doing, right? <laughs> I mean, uh, when I took over that business, Jake, it was not in a very good situation. And it's, uh, it was, I took it over because I felt like I just kind of had to. Like, I, I felt like it was a necessity. Because my mom had put her house up as a essentially a credit almost for the lease that she had on the property that she wound up building her business on. So she went from being a home-based business to then leasing out a spot in sort of the middle of Abbotsford where I'm from. And she had a all commercial setup there. And as collateral, in case anything was to happen to her on that 10-year lease that she signed, her house was up as collateral. And the business has gotten had gotten into a really tough spot. It had grown past what my mom was really comfortable controlling, I suppose, or leading. And my grandmother had gotten sick. So she was her idea of managing that business was at the other end of a phone and she was yelling and screaming at her staff. So it had gotten to a point where the culture was rotten. There was no profitability in the company whatsoever. It was borrowing from Peter to pay Paul as usual. It was really, really, really struggling. And it had it had received some horrifying skill and advice on the accounting side of things. And this happens to a lot of business owners. I hear this this story over and over again. Ours is particularly acute, but I hear it a lot. She had missed some payments to the government for both sales taxes and payroll remittance taxes. And those are are bills that the government wants because we've collected that money on someone else's behalf and they're saying, give it up, right? It's not like it's, it's income tax or something like that, which they're way more flexible on. And they essentially, she had around a $27,000, $28,000 debt to begin with that ballooned up to well over $130,000 by the time I finally organized a deal. It was growing in penalties and interest. Literally, they would calculate it by the hour. They'd send you a letter every month and it showed how much everything went up by the hour, Jake, by the hour. Can you imagine? Every month, right? We have like 720 installments, penalty, interest, penalty, interest, penalty, interest, penalty, interest, penalty, interest, like literally adding up every hour based on a percentage of her initial problem. So what was it? Like $25,000, $28,000 problem became $130,000 in a very short period of time. Wow. 
Yeah, it's brutal. Pay, so pay taxes, folks. <laughs> pay your taxes. Yeah, and for a lot of businesses, they would have just they would have folded everything. But in her case, she had put her house up. So if she went belly up on her company, the the lease that she owned and the government would have pursued her residence. For sure. In some capacity. I don't know what that would have looked like, but they would have pursued it. So I thought, you know, I have to jump in here and see if there's any way. And I figured I would give myself a two-year window to essentially right the ship. And that was 12 years ago. <laughs> and... <laughs> When I popped in and – well, it didn't pop in. When I arrived, I literally had to let go of pretty much everybody. We went from – I think we had 10 staff at the time, and I drilled it all the way down to four and was replenishing and rebuilding because the culture was terrible. And I just went in, and I, I almost worked every single hour there was at the customer service desk. And it was a really, really tough turnaround. And I look back on it and honestly, dude, I don't know how we got through those seven years. Like, you know how you look back on something and you go, wow, I don't know. How did we do that? Like, like yeah, the, yeah. the decisions we made, the crazy hours that we worked, like the things that we had to do, the, the, the just, you know, like literally I'm in, I was in this constant balancing act of just being able to make the ends meet that I needed to, to get things done and covered and go through it all over again a month later. So it was really quite the process. And in seven years, we doubled the size of the company. Wow. So we've gone up to just about 670,000 in revenue after seven years, which isn't anything to write home about. It's not crazy numbers, but you know, we were averaging about probably about 30 bucks, 35 bucks ahead. So we were doing a decent level of business, but here's the thing. We would do that much. I finally got the books back from the accountant. And this is when I knew that I literally had no idea what I was doing. And the only reason we were there because I was good at customer service from my first career. And I was a hard ass worker. <laughs> I just knew how to work my tail off because I got this. It was in February of 2016 and I received a very sobering document from our accountant because I was like, man, we must have made money this year and everything else. And like a lot of business owners, I had no idea whether we made money or not till the end of the year, <laughs> which is scary now to think about that. But now yeah. I know every day, but I used to not know until the end of the year. Get our books back and we'd done 670 odd thousand dollars, whatever the exact number was, close to that. And we profited $2,223. Oh. oh, shocker. That's it. That is crazy. And we were... We were $28,000 into our overdraft. We were $20,000 on our MasterCard, and we owed Amex something as well. And I looked at that. I remember, I remember sitting in my office, dude, and I was like, I'm done. I, I have got nothing, nothing left. <clears throat> You know, I'm sure you felt that way being a business owner and hard worker yourself. You're just like, I was all out of ideas. I had put into practice almost everything I could conceive. And I, I, I had nothing left. I had nothing left. And I was so exhausted. I hadn't, the one vacation I had taken in those seven years was to go and run a marathon in Halifax. <laughs> so my wife and I took I have eight days or whatever. We flew to Halifax, right? which is a long ass way away. So it's five time zones from where I am or four and a half time zones from where I am. That's how big Canada yeah. is, right? Yeah. Oh, wow. So I stood in Canada. That's crazy. I didn't know. Yeah. And uh, so we flew there and, and I ran a marathon to raise money for diabetes research. That was my idea of a vacation. And I did that. I mean, my wife is from that area. So that's one of the reasons we went back. But, oh, okay. But it was like, ah, oh, I, I, had, I had nothing, dude. And I just remember crying. Like, I just remember completely breaking down, embarrassing in my office. Because I was like, we've done all these things. We've worked so hard. And yet here we were. Mm -hmm. And I remember my mom coming in and, and I just, I think I was just like staring at my computer kind of just bewildered and she probably had seen that I was crying. I imagine 
She asked me what was wrong. I told her it was wrong. And she just said, you know what? I believe we can figure this out. And as much as it was a true spark in the darkness, that idea that I believe we can figure this out really helped me. You know, she said, we've always figured it out in the past. We will figure it out this time. And it was, it was, a, it was that little, it was just a teeny tiny spark, you know, on my kindling of courage that had not been lit for quite some time. And I, as so often is the case, I asked the universe for help. I was like, I need somebody. I need something. I need a coach. I need a coach. I don't know what the hell I'm doing. Hard work and, and sheer will of customer service has got me here, but it's not going to get me to the next level. There are holes all over this ship of a business that I'm running, but I don't know where they are and I don't know what to look for. And so I, you know, by, and in the summer of that year, I, my, you know, my prayer as it were was answered. So I, I found a mentor and a business coach and I took, uh, my mom was not willing to pay the $15,000 for the two-year course that I took, uh, the two-year program I took. And so I took a, uh, a salary cut of $10,000 annually in order to take the course. Wow. That's a risk. That's a risk. Yeah. Yeah. And what year was this, Michael, that this happened, sorry? What's that? What year? What year, what year was this? So that, that was 2016. 2016. Okay, four yeah. years ago. Yeah. 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 Sorry about the barking, buddy. My dog's upstairs barking at the neighbors. So that was 2016. Yeah. Yeah. And then, essentially, over the next three years, we almost doubled the size of the business again. We got it well over. We got it over a million dollars. Uh, our profitability went through the roof. I was able to train, lead, get out of the way, allow other people to grow. It was just this, and then I was given an opportunity to teach and coach for that same company, which gave me a huge boost of confidence that I knew what I was doing, uh, and then had about 150 businesses that I coach every two weeks uh, that I was guiding and coaching all the time for that company, like through that venture that he that this mentor of mine was doing. I had a chance to do all sorts of really sort of him and I would do private coaching stuff and uh, for different companies and things like that. So learned that my instincts were great. Like I, like I legitimately could know what I was doing. I just didn't have the skill set yet. I had the talent and not yet the skill. And once I started to marry those two things together, and then you polish that with hard work, uh, the results really started to come. And then in the last few years, as I said, I've been able to um, regress myself out of just about pets as everyday stuff and then really start growing my media and creation company. Cause there was a huge problem that I faced. Well, we'll get into that in a minute, but uh, I started to have the space in my life to, to do the media creation stuff, to start helping people with their marketing and, and then to pursue other passions of mine, like professional speaking, like using the, you know, my previous career on a stage in a different way, a way that fueled me, the way that I was, uh, that I wanted to use my, my power for, like I wanted to use that for something rather than being a puppet for someone else's show. Right. I left my acting career with a sense of bitterness. I was so tired of everybody telling me how long to keep my hair, what type of beard I should grow, you know, <laughs> what type of food I should be eating, what my body weight should look like, where to walk on a stage, how to talk, how to move, don't move here, move. Like it, I just drove me crazy after a while. And I was like, you know what? I'm done. Like this isn't this isn't art to me. It's art for the director, and I feel like a freaking puppet. Now it's not every director, but there was a few of those. There was enough of them that I worked with, and I was like, I I don't love acting and performance so much that I'm willing to put in years and years and years of not having much artistic input. Yeah. And constantly you know? being told what to do. <laughs> yeah. 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 And we haven't put, we have a set of questions, but I think we're just going to roll with this dynamically. And that's a perfect segue actually to talk about, you know, how you used to do acting and how you wanted to, you, you, you knew that you wanted to be on the stage but you perhaps weren't quite sure what stage that was. And, and something, yeah. that I, know, I think I believe the, the lady's name was Sandy Nicholson and something I know she said to you at the time that you, that you struggled with and, and how that, that moved into the sculpture and the clay, which some of our audience may have heard about, but I want to hear a bit more about it right yeah, now. Yeah, for sure. Um, 
Well, I'll, I'll get to the Sandy story in a second, but you know, I'll I'll never forget this moment in in third year. So I was in a what they call a professional development program in Canada. So they're very they're more expensive at university. Uh, they basically showcase you, and so the Bachelor of Fine Arts acting degree in in Edmonton, Alberta, at the University of Alberta, is a very prestigious program. They audition about four hundred every year, and they only take twelve. So it's a very intense program, very difficult to get into. And you're with those same 11 other people for three years. Oh, wow. Yeah. And you're, you're the rock stars of the fine arts department. Like it's that you get treated like gold. It's a very posh position to get to. And so we had a whole, and third year, you get this whole theater to yourself. Like you have dressing rooms, you've got all this stuff. You're treated like royalty, right? And I remember sitting in the green room in third year and having a conversation with an old friend of mine, Nicholas Green, who's now become a playwright and an actor in Toronto. He's a great guy. Anyway, we we're busy chatting and he was just talking about how amazing this was and how he just loved what we were doing. And I said, you know what? I, I could love it or not. You know, take it or leave it, man. He's like, what? What's wrong with you? Right? <laughs> you got these great roles. You know, everybody wants a part of us. We're going to go on an audition tour after this. We've got directors wanting to come and work. Like, what's wrong with you? And I said, you know, I envy singers. You know, I envy singers. The ability for them to, I want to sing this song, right? And now I know, you know, that was naive of me to think that singers don't have handlers and they're not, and they're not also being a character on stage. But they get more choice to a certain degree to choose exactly this and this is what I want to be, Right. And I was like, I envy the fact that singers can go out and they can just belt it out. Like they can have a great time. They can just indulge in their talent. And, you know, at the, they, they just get to, they get to be themselves. I thought they would get to be themselves on stage rather than always pretending to be someone else and something else. And it was, a, it, I really felt that way. I still feel that way. And it came with this, I think I felt that way the whole time, Jake, at least for the last couple of years. I felt that way a lot because I had this sinking feeling throughout a lot of my tenure there that this was where I was, but it maybe wasn't where I was supposed to be. And that came with this weird level of guilt because as you mentioned, my, my teacher, Sandy Nichols, she informed me at the end of first year that she thought I was super talented, that I was really great, that I could go professional right now as we speak, and that I need to stick around, though, and practice my skills and hone my talent and work on my stuff because I had a responsibility to my talent. I look back on that now, and I love that. I love that she gave me that quest. I love that she mantled me with that responsibility. But at the time, I... I it, you know, it inflated my ego at the time I used it for a lot of the wrong reasons, but it also had this weird adverse effect where, because I was struggling with my desire to even be there anymore, I was struggling with my desire to pursue acting as a career. I felt guilty that I had been bestowed this gift and these opportunities. And I was essentially just casually tossing them off when other people would have you know, crawling over broken glass for miles to be where I was. And it that came with this real, this real mantle of guilt for quite some time. It was very hard for me to shake it. And that bled into my other careers too, right? Just this idea that, man, I'm, I'm stuck. I'm, I'm, I'm totally, I should have done something else with this opportunity and I shit all over it essentially, mm. you know? Mm. So there's, there was a lot going on there and, and, uh, but it was supposed to happen. It was supposed to happen. I was supposed to go to that school. I was supposed to learn those things about the stage and storytelling and performance and all that stuff. I was supposed to learn them all. My voice was just meant for something a little bit different. And if I ever decide to pursue that career again, then I know I've got those, that bedrock and that foundation to work from. But, you know, it was supposed to happen the way it did. Absolutely right. And 
if it didn't happen the way it did, then you wouldn't be led to what you're doing now, which is using your voice to help motivate and inspire others. It was, yeah. you, yeah. like I said, you knew you wanted to be on that stage. You just didn't know exactly how it looked and, and, and what you'd be projecting out to the audience once you were, once you were on there. I actually, I actually did a little bit of acting training myself. And for a while there thought that that was the stage that I wanted to be on. And, wasn't until recently embarked on looking at how how you do public speaking, how you deliver it, how it comes together, and what your message is that you want to deliver to the world. That I found that yeah, that's the stage I want to be on. It's it's, mm-hmm. it's right now the virtual stage, and that's absolutely fine. Absolutely. I like to think in a few months' time, it'll be a physical stage, and I can see people in front of me instead there of there. You to go, see them right? You really yeah. get the crowd. But I tell you what, this is it. I think it's actually all comes together perfectly for, for people like us that are wanting to get in front of the camera at this time because I find that being able to be comfortable in your familiar spaces, in your office, in your home, in your garage, wherever you like to sit and, and be, you can do that in the comfortability of your own home, the familiarity of your own home and and using the internet to speak to people is is the perfect kind of pre precursor to the actual stage. So it's been working pretty well for me and I can see it's been working well for you. <clears throat> yeah, I, I think you know what, Jake. I I think a lot of people they they make these choices, and I don't know about it, what it's like in Australia. It's probably pretty similar, but in Canada, there's this real emphasis for kids to make choices at 18 or 19 years old what their career path is going to be, and that's so ridiculous. Like, let's just be the parents out there right now. Let your kids explore, like in all honesty, right? Like some kids are blessed with knowing and that's great, but, you know, give them the opportunity to explore a career. If that means going to school, if that means doing those things, but also give them permission to go, you know what? This didn't fit. And if you're listening right now and you're wondering, man, should I, is this fitting with me right now? You know, this is a COVID pandemic has given us this reset button across a lot of the planet, right? This is a great opportunity to reignite some old passions of yours, perhaps, and polish over some new skills or polish up some old ones. And I think that we, man, we gotta, we gotta use that. We gotta use that to our advantage because so much, so many of us get stuck in a career path and a choice because that's what we made. So now we're dedicated to it. I like the, I love the Frederick Nietzsche quote who says, he says, many people are stubborn in pursuit of their actions, few in pursuit of their goals. And this to me is indicative of a, of a group of, of a massive cross-section of society that's like, this is what I do, therefore that's who I am, rather than this is what I want to accomplish, therefore this is who I'm going to become. They're two different sets of questions. And I think if we encourage kids to go, what would you love your life to be about? Like, how would you love to impact the world rather than do you want to be a lawyer or do you want to be a doctor, right? Just let them explore a little bit. If they want that, awesome, go ahead, fire away, right? But there's very little to be gained by being pigeonholed and staying stuck there. And if you feel that way, man, oh man, I would encourage you, explore some new stuff. This is a phenomenal time to explore some new ideas. And as Jake just beautifully put it, with the internet, there is zero reason why you can't explore these things from the comfort of your own home with very little risk at this point to anything or anyone. Exactly right. And I couldn't agree with that more, Michael. And it's funny what you say there. How is it? What is it like in Australia? It's, it's it's a little bit more relaxed here. People do seem to be a bit more relaxed, but I can definitely resonate to what you say in the, in the UK. There's a premise there. I'm fortunate enough, and I thank my parents if they're watching this live or later, that they didn't put that on me. You know, you must mm-hmm. have a decision made by the time you leave school. I was kind of, hey, Jake, you go out and do what you want. I, I didn't know what I wanted to do, so I qualified as a plumber because I knew I enjoyed working um, with my hands. Sure. And I'd done, a, I'd done a little bit of work experience in it, so that's why I, I fell into. I'd recommend that to anyone who, who likes working physically and, and doesn't perhaps know what they want to do. But, yeah, this idea that you have to have it all planned out, because I didn't really – I went into plumbing, did many things along the way. It wasn't until I was about 29, 30 years old I started to get a grasp of what I wanted to do and, and the steer I wanted to go towards. And, you know, that's a that's a 12-year period. It's even more. Sorry, it's a 14-year period, quick maths, <laughs> since yeah. I left school. And I, I spent all that time playing around and figuring it out. And I think your 20s, 
for me, I, I don't know if you'll agree with me, but I think your 20s are a time for trying new things out, for trying new things, for exploring and going on adventures and figuring out who you are and, and what you really want to do in the world. And, and that can be fine to be 10 years of trying stuff out and failing and, and meeting, running over obstacles and challenges and letting some of them run over you because that's, 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 where, you, that's where you learn when when things when things oh uh, yeah on the blind side <laughs> totally yeah now if you had to start your and i suppose you've answered it there in a few few in the in the in the real way of explaining how the business came around and some of the challenges you've been through but let's say you had to start the pet business all over again tomorrow mm. what would you do differently That is a great question. I'm I'm struggling to answer it simply because the education process that that running that pet business offered me was one that if I'd started over again, I still wouldn't have. Mm. So knowing what I know now that good businesses are successful because they have Really, they have great marketing, even if it's subtle, right? They understand that a certain percentage of everything they do has to be devoted to encouraging new customers and old customers to return. I would make that a far bigger part of my uh, focus, knowing what I know now. I, I think it would have helped me spend money a lot differently. I was trapped in the idea that I thought marketing was advertising. They're not the same thing. Advertising is a part of marketing, but they're not the same. And so I would, uh, I spent a lot of money, well, wasted a lot of money on bad ads. Ads that didn't work, ads that didn't have the traction that I wanted them to have. And so I blew through a lot of resources pushing to grow the company. And they just didn't have the results that really we needed and really we wanted. So I think that I would have, if I was to do it over again, Jake, it's hard to divorce it from knowing what I know, right? Because the education process has been the most valuable piece for me. So part of that education process has to be the trials and failures, as you just alluded to, right? You've got to get run over by the truck every once in a while to realize that it's there. So it's a tough question. I think that, that I would certainly as I said, market a little bit differently. I would be, I would have been a little more strict and stringent as to how I hired, how I grew my team. Now yeah. there's a very structured process for that. But when I first got started, there wasn't, you know, we used a lot of the, the, the mirror test, right? Oh, perfect. Good. You can get hired. So, um, <laughs> yeah. So that was, I think those are the few things, those are the few things, right? Like making sure that the core values of the company and what the soul of the company is all about and what's intention is, is clear from the, from the get go would be something. And then making that an element of a, how we market, but also where's my figure. There it is a, how we market and then B how we, we grow the team and what type of people we want to bring up. Yeah. Yeah, one one of the things, the first things you mentioned there is, you know, attracting new customers to business and getting existing customers to return. Yeah. I think it's it's very important these days. It's always been very important, but I think now in the digital age more than ever to make your business a customer-focused, customer-driven economy because why do you have your business? You have it to, to serve your customers, of course, to make you some money, but it's really all about the customers. I was with Eric Cabrera on an interview the other day and we were talking mm -hmm. about and how you know how how do you know what your customers need well you have to ask them and if you're not asking yeah. them then you don't know and if you don't know then you can't serve them better or to their full potential so bammo to that yeah definitely and, and i tell you what that's something you just learned me a lesson there that marketing and advertising are two different things now i knew that inherently in, in my brain but um yeah it's kind of it's an interesting point isn't it? Well, expand a little bit more on that. So for me, I always say that uh, the perfect 
diagram of a great business is an hourglass. And 49%, and this is in my opinion, I've done a bunch of business coaching now and had a bunch of coaching done for me. And this is something I've kind of come up with. So it's, but in my opinion, 49% of all of your resources should be spent on the top portion of that hourglass, 49% on the bottom portion of that hourglass and 2% in the middle. Now, what are these portions of the hourglass? The top portion is marketing. The middle portion is the moment of sale, that process where they buy. And then the bottom is the delivering of what you have sold to somebody, right? Or AKA mm -hmm. the operations of your company. Predominantly business owners go into business because they're really good technicians. They were great at doing something and now they've gone into business for themselves. Like you were, could be great as a plumber and now you go into business as a plumber on your own. That is how most entrepreneurs get started. They are good at something. They're great at something. They have really, they have a desire to have their own company or they have a different way that they want to do it than the company they're working with right now. And therefore they open their own business doing the same thing. Right. So that's predominantly how a lot of business owners get started. So therefore, they're really good at the operations side and they spend far more than 49% of their resources on the ops side and very little on the marketing side. And by resources, I mean three predominant things effort or time, creativity, and money. Those are essentially the only three resources that any person ever has access to. Your sheer effort or your time commitment, however you want to look at that. Your creativity and how you get something. A lot of the time, I, I bet you can imagine a creative way of getting something done, Jake, that saves you both time and money, right? So creativity is a resource. And then, of course, money itself. Buy other people's skills and attributes. Those are the three resources that we have. And so when I say 49% of resources, you've got to look at it and go, okay, well, I have a budget for my marketing. So I'm paying for someone else's time and creativity. So a chunk of my budget, right, is for this. But it's not meant to be, it's meant to illustrate a point that you should be spending a fair amount of your resource capital on continuing to grow your company by new customers and existing customers. And I consider everything that happens, every single thing that happens, Jake, before they say yes to buying, marketing. Yeah, got it. Got it. So, so there's ads are in there for sure. Mm. For a lot of company ads are in there. Billboards mm. could be in there. Uh, but that also comes down to your brochures. That comes down to uh, perhaps training and educating your staff on how to market and persuade better, right? It comes down to all sorts of things. But the reason I love the example of the hourglass is twofold. One, I think it illustrates the idea that great entrepreneurs sit in the middle. They sit in the leverage point. They sit in the sale moment. Not that they're selling to their clients necessarily. Like Richard Branson doesn't sell to his clients anymore. But that guy is always selling his teams on his ventures. He doesn't spend any time operating his companies. He looks at some KPIs and metrics, I'm sure. He doesn't spend a lot of time marketing his companies, although he used to spend a ton of resources there, right? But technically speaking, Richard Branson now sits at the sale position. Great entrepreneurs sit there all the time. They're all, they're on, They're always at that juncture, they're hands-on in the moment where they have to get somebody to say yes, because that's the control point, right? But it's also the way that a business owner can go from being a business operator and being essentially a highly paid self-employed person mm -hmm. to being a business owner, because that's where they get the most leverage. 2% of their time for 98%. Right. So that's where the leverage point is, is in that moment. Mm, love that. Love that. And that's, um, I think that's a journey we're both going through, right? From going from yeah. a, a operator to owner now. I know that's something we're both trying to, to, to work on um, together. And I'm excited to see it happen because I know it's going to happen for us both. Yeah. Now, our final question, then I've got some rapid fire questions, which I didn't give you beforehand, but I wanted okay. to just uh, hit you with. 
Um, if you could give three hot tips and perhaps a couple of book recommendations to mm. anyone wanting to get started with their own small business or thinking about going out as an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. So hot tips. Okay. Think about how you want to market what you have first. And when you think about that, what's the, so think about the method and divide that between tactics and strategy. So what I mean by that is that strategy is an overarching way you want to do something, right? So I'll, I'll use an example from a friend of mine. He, he has a merchant services company. We're doing some marketing work for him. And so they do the debit visa, MasterCard machines, that type of thing, right? His way of operating right now, Jake, is that he creates great relationships. He's a super charming dude, you know, and, and he can press the flesh and make a sale almost every single time. But that's not scalable. Like you can't, like you can only be in so many places at one time and, and it's going to be a struggle to get past a certain volume of work because he can't handle any more, right? So, but his strategy has been to build wonderful relationships to build his company. That's been his strategy. He has all sorts of tactics, you know, chamber of commerce, uh, BNIs, uh, men's networking groups, uh, general um, networking groups for businesses, knocking on doors. Those are all tactics, but the strategy is building relationships. Does that make sense? Yeah. Right? So a lot of business owners get distracted by all sorts of different tactics. Oh, I'm going to do Facebook ads or I'll do Instagram ads or I'll, I'll do YouTube stuff or I'll do, I'll do paper ads or I'll do, they get distracted by tactics and what they should have before then is a concrete strategy. What's the overarching strategy for your company to market itself? So that's tip number one is it doesn't matter how brilliant the idea is. If nobody's interested in buying it because you don't know how to market and sell it, you're still dead in the water. Yeah. I know that right. one. Yeah, it doesn't matter. You get the best products in the role. Why you don't know how to don't know how to sell it? Yep, you don't know how to sell it, aka market it, because most of sales happens all before somebody says yes. You and I both know that. Yes. Yeah. Right. So <clears throat> that's tip number one. Tip number two: systemize. 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 Right. Always build systems into your company. You are, you may be a genius at what you do, but you became a genius somehow, right? You didn't pop out of the womb being a great plumber, Jake, right? <laughs> Somebody taught you. There was a structured process to teach you. And there was a structured process probably to give you more tips. You may be apprenticed. You did all sorts of things, right? But there's, but so many entrepreneurs I find believe that, that they are what they have inside their heads can't go to somebody else. They, they, like I know so many people that are, that are great at what they do. Therefore they go, if they're not as good as I am, how, why would I possibly have them do this job? Because they can't be as good as you until you give them the chance and the system and the process to get there. Jackass. Like it's not possible. Right. But we get stuck. They get totally stuck in just believing that they should be replaced because that's what they did. But that's not what they did. They took probably years to develop the skill set that they have now. Right. So processes and systems start them from the beginning. Document what you do. Document how you perceive things and how you think and what questions you ask so that when it comes time to start hiring and growing your team because your business is growing, you've got something there to work with to hand over, even if it's rough that they can start to go, OK, I can see how Jake thinks. I can start to see how Jake thinks. Right. So that's tip number two. Tip number three is focus on your brand. Your brand, I love this definition. Your brand is what people say to others and talk about about your company when you're not there. Mm. Yeah, That's what your that. brand is. Yep. Right? And the core part to that is if we drill down just a little bit deeper on that, that's predominantly about what's your story. Not, not, not like the details, but is it a rags to riches story? Is it a, um, like I went away and I came back with this information kind of story? Is it a quest? Is it like, what kind of story is this that is your company's brand? Like Paddock Blade, right? It needs to have a narrative. Like the brand has got to have a story behind it that people can easily tell somebody else. Cause we forget the details all the time. 
but we never forget the story. True, true. Right? You can, I'll bet right now, if you think back to your favorite Marvel superhero movie, which one would it, would it be? Hmm, probably The Hulk. Is that a superhero movie? Yeah, are you not a superhero movie fan? Am I picking I'm the wrong genre right now? Bad example, bad example. But okay. What's Thor? Thor one? Yeah. Thor. Then there okay. you go, Thor. There you go, Thor. Go so I'll bet you could walk through the narrative of Thor in five to ten minutes. But you're not going to remember all the details, right? No. But you could walk through the narrative. So the idea is that that your brand should be a walking, talking story that other people can share that is your company. So those are the three big things, right? Focus, understand what your marketing strategy is. How are we going to market this thing? Like, what are we going to do? Like the paddock blade, how are we going to do this? You've chosen online marketing, specifically social media marketing as a strategy. There's all sorts of now internal tactics, mm-hmm. right? Like you and I could discuss tactics forever. But as you said, you're not using the newspaper. You're not using farming magazines. You're not using all sorts of things. They're not a part of your strategy. That was your choice. The strategy is to use online marketing, specifically social media marketing, to pull this off. Awesome. Cool. And then there's tactics within that strategy. Second to that is systemize. Always think about that. In other words, practice that idea that I was giving before. Be less important and more valuable. If Just think about it, you guys. If you're starting your company, anybody watching this, If you're doing something that you believe nobody else can do, then you do not own a company. You own a job. And that may be very blunt and hard for people to hear, but that is the truth. You don't own a company. A company operates on its own. A company is an asset. Hmm. What you own is a perhaps very high paying, but also very high risk job. Because as soon as you stop, everything stops. My mentor, the guy who I took all this this business training from, that was the one thing he could never accomplish, Jake. He is stuck. He was running a $2 million a year revenue coaching company, right? So that's a pretty good coaching company. Oh, yeah. But he was the only salesperson he had. So as soon as he stopped producing, as soon as he stopped tap dancing on the stage and selling his product, the whole system ground to a halt. He could never get out. And when COVID hit, because he was doing, you know, seminars, like live seminars. So when COVID hit, he was toast. Hmm. You know, he pivoted to doing online stuff. So he survived, but he went from 15 staff down to three. He had a beautiful office that he had to give up, mm. right? And he lost 50, 60% of his, his clientele and he had no way of selling new stuff. Yeah, you got to be dynamic. You got to be ready. Well, and he never systemized Jake. He made himself wow. important all the time. Yeah. A quote right. that keeps coming to my mind as you, as you say that is, I quote it here and I'm not sure where it came from. I hear it a lot. It's, it's, it's nice to be important, but it's important to be nice and i think if we swap the word out nice to be valuable so it's more important it's important to be valuable it's important to be valuable it's more important Ah, i've completely got it wrong it's it's nice to be important but it's more important to be valuable yes there you go you know i like to repurpose a quote but that's it that's that's it right you know because of course, you're an importance to your business. Your business is important to you. But what's more important is you bring value to to the business and the people that are in it by implementing those things that you've just said. And one other question. One other thing that I'll, yeah. One other thing that I'll add, Jake, that I always ask my business clients is I ask them what type of business they want to run. So I say, okay, Jake, where would you love to live? Like this would be paradise for you. You would go there, you would live there, you would take your beautiful girlfriend with you and you could maybe never come back. Like this would be an amazing place to live your life. Where would it be? Well, I'm already here, I'm in Australia. (laughs) Okay, so it would be Australia. Yeah. Good, not for you, excellent. Okay, so now, if you could live on the beaches of Australia, work 10 hours a week and make $250,000 a year, would you be happy? 
Sounds more than reasonable. Okay. Or would you prefer to run a company that does 50, $60 million in revenue? You work 60 hours a week, but you make a million dollars. Which would you prefer? Hmm, that's a good question. I'd be leaning towards the first one because it sounds like I'd have more time to live. See, that's the question that most business owners need to ask themselves at the very beginning, Jake. As we talked about, if you don't know where you're going, how the hell can you build a plan to get there? And a lot of people are like, yeah, I'm just going to build a plan to sell some stuff. Yeah, but for what? Like to what end? Where the hell are you going? Yeah. And so when I, when I ask them that question, they'll often, almost every business owner I know takes the ladder. Because the time is the thing they want to carve out. Very few want to build a 50, 60, $100 million revenue company that requires 60 hours of their week. Yeah. It's not what they want. Most of them do not want that. Most of them want a company. So therefore, systemize. Therefore, become a leader, not a manager. Therefore, build processes and promote from within so that you can only have to work 10 hours and not 60. I know lots of business owners that are making 200K, but they're still working the 60 hours. Why? Because they never got out of their own freaking way. Love they made Love the business the all about them. Love the way you package that up. Love that. And what are you reading at the moment, Michael? Reading? Okay. So, Traction by Gina Wickman. Great book on systemization. If you're going to be a business owner, you don't have to take all of it. Take parts of it that you want, but it's great. Traction is an awesome one to uh, sink your teeth into. I am not going to go for some of the old standard favorites like the Think and, Think and Grow Rich and those ones. I mean, those are recommended Think and Grow Rich. What's that? <laughs> You'd be the first person who hasn't recommended Think and Grow Rich. Yeah. I mean, let, let's be honest. Those are, those are normal, right? So if you want to build an online business, Okay, if you want to build an online business and be and be present and understand how story is so important for that, Russell Brunson stuff is great. Right? Um, the experts, the expert secrets, the dot-com secrets books, fantastic way of sinking your teeth into how online marketing really works, how to build trust that way and how to do it that way. Uh, and then last but not least. I think all entrepreneurs need to read this book, The 4-Hour Workweek by Tim Ferriss. Yeah, I've got that on audiobook. It's a good one. Yeah. yeah. To me, yeah. those are – because a business owner, businesses are systems that deliver a result to a client at the end, right? Businesses yeah. are a system. They're a series of systems. That's all they, that's all they are. Like when, when someone walks in and they want to buy a McDonald's franchise, they're not buying the sign. Right? They're not buying the, I mean, yes, that they buy the equipment, but that's not why they buy McDonald's. They can go the equipment anywhere. They buy McDonald's because of the system. So as a business owner, if you want something that's sellable, that becomes an asset that's working when you're not there, you need a process and a system. It's a, it's a series of systems that deliver, that attract a client, sell the client, then deliver the deliverables to the client. That's all it is. It's a system through that hourglass. Mm. I like the way you tied that in to the hourglass. You're a great speaker, man. I always love spending time with you in whatever What do you do with an hourglass, Jake, once you've poured the customer through? Hmm. Once all the sand is through an hourglass, what do you do? You get them back in the hourglass. No, you just... Turn it. Okay. This is why we need to do some business coaching. Right? You just flip it. Right. They just go right back through that whole process again, right? Yeah. So I kind of have the right answer. Get them back through the hourglass, but you just turn it by doing that. You don't have to go and chase them and get them back into it. That's right. That's All right. right. Quick You're... question. And I've yeah. just came up with this on the side while I've been speaking to you. Just the first thing that comes to your mind. Do you believe in aliens? No. <laughs> what is your biggest fear? Dying young. What is your favorite food? pizza hey. what is your favorite place to go mm. on holiday oh germany interesting describe yourself in three words <laughs> i 
You can swear if you want. Uh, no, 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 no. Yeah, yeah. I am a uh, three <laughs> words. Okay, competitive, um, creative, and mm, how do I put this? Affectionate. I like it. I like it. And yeah, I, I was going to say how would other people describe you, but I'd agree with all of them. I'm ticking. Ticking all them boxes in this short time I've known you. <laughs> Buddy, it's been great to spend some time with you and, and draw some wisdom from that fabulous brand of yours. I look forward to working with you. I know, in fact, we'll touch on that. Thank you, Media, which I've taken you on board for with my company, Paddock Blade. We're going to create some fantastic graphics with, with oh, yeah. that business. I look forward to that. If anyone wants to find you, Michael, where can they find you? Where's the best place to go for them to um, find you? MichaelBridgman.ca. I put it right down there in the uh, in the nameplate down at the bottom there. So MichaelBridgman.ca, that's my name. Uh, you can find me at Michael Bridgman page on Facebook. And my Instagram handle will be changing. I've got my wife on that. She's going to figure out a different Instagram handle because mine is too old man-ish, she said. So <laughs> I won't share my Instagram handle until I have one concretely figured out. Okay, and just, just by magic, guys, both – Michael's website and his handle for Facebook has appeared in the comments. Don't know how that Ooh, happened, but Ta-da! Michael, it's been great to spend some time with you. I'll look forward to having you back on the show at a later date. Thank you very much, sir. Enjoy the rest of your evening. Oh, thanks so much, buddy. Keep rock and rolling, my friend. I'm so freaking proud of you. You've got no idea um, how proud I am of your journey and how awesome this is going. So much love all the way across the Pacific from me to you, my friend. Thanks, buddy. I really appreciate that. I'm going to keep on rocking. Okay. Ciao, Take care, mate. See you, everyone.